Welcome to the Hope Collective Message Podcast, where we find a confident expectation of a better tomorrow in the character and promises of God. To learn more about who we are, visit thehopeco.com. Here's today's message. Good morning. We stand to read God's Word. We do that because this will be the most important thing we do all day. It'll be the most important thing we hear all day. Even more important than the words I'm going to share with you when we're done. More important than anything you're going to read on Instagram today. Definitely that. The most important thing is this moment. We stand to honor that. And so we go to 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Peter says, to God's elect, strangers in the world. Make a note of that. Jumping down to verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen? And into an influence, an, an inheritance and an influence that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Boy, wouldn't it be great if we got caught up in things that would never perish, spoil, or fade? Kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. This is the word of God. And so we come and we pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. 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 You can be seated. Happy Easter. Easter. Another way of saying that is happy first fruits. No? Didn't hear that one? Happy resurrection day. Yeah, yeah, I know that one. He is risen. risen It's another way we say it. What we're saying is Jesus is alive period. Jesus is alive. Can you humor me for just a second? Indulge me, if you will. Some 2,000 years ago, Jesus is in the tomb early Sunday morning. Dead as far as everybody is concerned. By the way, if Jesus came and just lived and didn't die for our sins, we would not have hope. If Jesus came and lived and died but didn't rise, we would not have hope. But Jesus came, lived how we ought to live, died how we ought to die, and rose how he desires us to rise. That's what he did. And so early that morning, I mean, can, can, you, can you imagine heaven for just a second? Like they know what they know. That hell doesn't know. Do you understand what I'm saying? That the disciples don't know, even though they've been told they should know. 
And all of a sudden, before dawn, it's like the heavenly band gets together, right? And they start plugging in the instruments. The bass player, ready to go. And in that early morning, Jesus begins to breathe. And you got, here's, I said humor me, right? You get that bass drop. Can you imagine the heavenly choirs beginning to come out from everywhere singing, all praise, all glory, all praise. King. I mean, just and when they're dropping in and he rises. Is anybody else? No, probably not. <laughs> kind of. Just, man, let scripture come alive to you. Because on that day, God rocked our world. God rocked our world. And Jesus is alive. Here's the deal. Pastors in churches all over the world today will spend a lot of time focusing on the facts of the resurrection, just to convince people in the room that it's true. We don't have to do that. Because for the very fact that many of us are sitting in this room today, understanding the hope we have that has transformed our life, that's fact enough. We're not gonna spend a lot of time there today because everybody who has sought to disprove the resurrection has only found faith in it. So we're not gonna, we know that what took place that day was real or we wouldn't be sitting here today. And it's still real today. It's still real. Jesus lives. And because Jesus lives, you know what's true? Hope lives. Like real hope lives. Isn't that good news? Not wishful thinking hope, not worldly hope, not the kind of hope we often put our hope in that doesn't last, fades, withers, but hope that is above circumstances that is only hope because Jesus lives. Because Jesus is hope and hope is Jesus. Are you with me? And so Jesus, notice I didn't give you a chance to let me know if you're with me. And so Jesus comes and dies, not so that we don't have to, but to show us how to. That's why he comes into this space, humanity, and he dies because he knows that we will have to die to follow. He doesn't just bridge the gap between life and death. He literally goes in to show us what it means to die to ourself, to our will, to what we want so that we can live like he lives, so he can resurrect the dead places in us. Isn't that good? And here's what's crazy. We said this last year. Resurrection power cannot hit something that isn't dead. And so it's good news that we get to die to ourselves. You know what the dead places of our lives are? The dead places of our lives are where we want our will over God's will. And we fight for our way because we actually think we can get it better than God. That is the craziest kind of thinking I think I've ever heard. The dead places are the places where sin exists and it separates us from God. The dead places are where we have allowed lies to continue to impact who we are instead of the truth of whose we are. Those traumas of other people's sin and the impact that they've had, those are the dead places that God wants to come and raise to life. That resurrection power can hit us. But I have to, I have to tell you, um, I've struggled a little bit with, with Easter this year. In, in the church world, and, and can I just be vulnerable for a second? Meaning, let you think whatever you gotta think through this. I think sometimes we make a lot of this day, but we forget that it doesn't change in the morning. Jesus, Jesus, this isn't the moment where Jesus rose in 2022. It was way back he rose. And I think we forget 
that every day is Easter when you live in a resurrected reality. Every day is Easter when you live in a resurrected reality. Meaning you understand that you can't do nothing without him and you desperately need him and so we give our life to him and when we do, we die to the places in our lives that are about us and we begin to live in the places that we make about him. And that's resurrection and we've experienced that and so we can talk about hope living because it's living in us, right? And so here's the question I wanna ask you today and um, can I, can I, uh, one more time, can I, can I just lament, one more? I'm, so, there's something that ticks me off. Do you ever have anything that ticks you off? <laughs> Bothers me, ticked off, yep. Some of you, how many got ticked off today because you didn't want to wear what was part of the matching outfits that you wanted to wear, right? <laughs> nope, nobody? Because you got to take pictures on Easter, right? And everybody needs to kind of flow. Ticked off, here's what I'm ticked off about. The world that we live in always wants to sell a counterfeit to the good things of God. Always. And we live in a world right now that has a lot of hope fatigue and it ticks me off because when we get tired of hope, we begin to miss real hope. And we have hope fatigue because the world is trying to take the storyline of hope and use it for their gain. And here's the problem. Anything outside of Jesus' hope will always fail. Always It'll fade. It doesn't work. It won't bring you hope. It's wishful thinking at best. But the world wants to sell hope that is counter to who Jesus is, and there's no such thing. And it makes me mad because it causes a lot of us to fall asleep to real hope that can change us. So here's the question this morning. Here's a different way to process the resurrection, if you will. Ask yourself this question. How is this hope changing me? How is it changing me? Because when this, this hope gets a hold of your heart and your life, it will change you. You act different towards others. You behave differently. You speak differently because this hope is in you and you understand it to the point where it transforms you and you no longer look like the world you live in. And it actually causes that hope to come alive in a way that the world looks at you and says, talk to me about that hope because this hope that I'm chasing isn't bringing hope. And I can sit and look in a morning like this and see misery in some of your faces. Now, some of you are going, well, I'm not miserable. Well, then have your face, tell your, have your body tell your face that. <laughs> Seriously. Be, don't, if that offended you, fully apologize. It was not meant to offend you. I'm telling you, you are expressing what your hope is delivering. That's it. And many of us can come into this space understanding that life may not be perfect and we may suffer and go through difficult times, but we have a hope that causes us to rise above and live in a different space. And it's because Jesus is alive, the hope lives. That's the intro. <laughs> so... How is hope changing you? How is this hope changing you? Peter says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Not through anything you did or can do or would do apart from him. Because of the resurrection from the dead, you have been given new birth when you put your faith and hope in Jesus. I tell you, this is crazy. But Paul says in the very beginning, he says, sojourners and exiles, like aliens, strangers in the world. He's talking to the church of Asia Minor. And he's, and he's calling them strangers and exiles in the world. For all we know, they were living in the same homes and in the same place. So it's not because they relocated that he's calling them strangers and aliens in the world. Not because they'd moved. 
They're living in the same homes, the same towns that they'd always lived in. They hadn't moved, but they had become resident aliens, living in one country but belonging to another. Not acting anymore like the people of the country that they live in, but the country they're going to, the kingdom they're part of. So, so we're living in the world today, and it feels pretty hopeless, doesn't it? And we talk about it. People are like, man, things are messed up, aren't they? As Christians who love Jesus and understand he's alive and so is our hope, we should not go, yeah, man, it's just awful. Don't know what's going to happen. Not sure what. But we know what's going to happen. We may not know the details of how this is going to play out, but I don't despair. In these moments, yeah, things are tough, but that makes the gospel that much better. We ought to share it. It makes what we have inside so powerful when it comes outside. I'm yelling. If you're new, um, I yell when I'm excited. I'm excited. Because I think we have a chance to change the narrative in our country today. I think we have a chance to change the narrative in the world because of our hope. If people who have hope would just act like it. So what is it that makes Christians to be aliens wherever you go? Peter's answer is crucial for how we understand our place and engage the communities and cultures where God has placed us and the neighborhoods. What makes Christians aliens, even in their hometowns? It's hope. That's what actually makes us aliens, this hope. Hope defines us, it distinguishes us, and it drives us. How does hope define us? Let me give this to you really quick. In 1 Peter 1.3, Peter says, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Born again to a living hope. Think of birth, okay, so born again, a new birth, as a shorthand for the things that make up who you are. I am from Pekin, Illinois. Thank you. That's powerful. Are, are we, are we, I mean, do you, you, that's a been there. Have you, you got that? Ain't going there. Been there. I've been there. And, and so that, that a lot of connotations of that since I am from Pekin, Illinois, right? I'm, you have heard of Pekin, Illinois. You at least heard of it. Wow. So that's where I'm from. And uh, it's near Peoria. Is that better? Yeah. Uh, being from Pekin, it means I'm from a small town. So all that comes with that, right? Lots of counseling around that. <laughs> it also means I'm a Cub fan. Huh? Come on. I know there are more loyal people in the room. It means I'm a Bears fan. <laughs> Listen, let me talk to you for a second, okay? <laughs> Listen to me. That's what I'm talking about. This is where I'm from, right? And you only root for where you're from, by the way. Or it's disloyal. <laughs> you can't be born in Illinois from Illinois and root for the St. Louis Cardinals. That's Missouri. I'm stepping on toes now, about to preach, right? <laughs> we'll skip all of that. Especially 49ers. <laughs> Over there. Why, why, am I, why, am I, why am I saying this? Listen. Peter's readers were born into an identity too. All of us were. We can talk about where you're from and what that means about who you are. But maybe some were Romans. Maybe others were born into specific tribes with long histories and strong group solidarity, if you will. Perhaps they came into a family trade like fishing or carpentry. Whatever may have defined them before, and I want you to get this, because of God's love and by the power of God's spirit, they were now born again. 
born new. And what identity comes with this new birth? Hope. It's hope. Hope is the family resemblance that people recognize. Hey, I, you look like hope. You must be from God's family. I, I see hope. You must be part of the kingdom bunch. Right? Are you with me? Hope is the family culture. Hope is the family birthright. We're part of God's family. Hope is our birthright. Oh, man, if we would just get a hold of that, that hope can live in us, and what that actually means, that it can define us. In 1 Peter 4, Peter explains this hope as an inheritance so precious and unprecedented that he can only describe what it is by describing what it's not. He can't even put words to what it is. We'll try. It's imperishable because it won't wither and die like everything else, like wishful thinking hope, like hope dependent upon you. And some of you are pretty good. Not that good. We can't make things happen. We can't always fulfill the promises. But God can. That's why there's hope. His character. Remember what is hope? A confident expectation of a better tomorrow based on the character and promises of God that he is who he says he is and he'll do what he says he's going to do. By the way, Confident expectation of a better tomorrow, not your definition of better, but his. Because his better is better than your better. You knew that, right? His better is better than your better, no matter how better your better is. There you go. Write that down. There's a lot of words. Imperishable, undefiled. It can't be corrupted by our selfishness, our fear of losing it, our pride over it, our unrealistic and disappointed expectations of it. It doesn't impact it. It's unfading. It won't bring joy that flares up and burns out, leaving you wondering what's next. This inheritance is grounded in the work of Jesus and guarded by God's power and defines the life of a Christian. I live audaciously fearless of man. Why? Because of hope. This hope that lives. So how does it distinguish us? If that's how it defines us, this same hope that grounds our lives as Christians also sets our lives apart from who we once were and from the lives of those whose hopes are different. It sets us apart. It distinguishes us. Remember, family resemblance. In Peter's first chapter, setting up a section on Christian holiness, in verses 13 and 14 of chapter 1, he describes the before and after the hinges on hope. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. I love when the Bible uses words like ignorant. Okay? So if you've experienced this hope, and then you go back to your hope, you're dumb. Don't be dumb. That's what it's saying in verse 14. Just don't, it's, it's, it's ignorant. You can have this hope that lives in a way that no other hope lives because you believe that Jesus is alive and wants to live in your life and you can trade it for something that's now. A hope that you've defined or an American dream that promises a hope it can't deliver. And so you'll chase it at all cost, even relationship with God. That was then, but now instead, verse 13, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, it's not that Christians are hopeful now when they weren't hopeful before. It's that we now live with a different hope than what we lived with before, and it fuels a different passion within us. I wish we could expose every bit of what's going on in each one of us and find out what actually fuels you. Because if it is not the hope that lives, you're in trouble. We are in trouble 
It may have created a false facade that you're okay, but you're not. That's why Jesus comes and lives and dies and is raised to life so that we can have this hope that lives and it can fuel us. Guys, this is unbelievable. In our ignorance, we set our hopes in the, in the right in front of us to keep, and we keep our horizons low. That might be God over there just kind of talking. <laughs> the lights flickering, everybody's going, hey, it's a light. I know, same, squirrel. So just call it out, name it, and move on. Here we go. One author says it this way, we were carried along by our wants, wave by wave, rolling toward all sorts of quick-hitting pleasures and short-term possessions. We look for a meaningful life in the realm of the perishable, the defiled, and the fading. Gross. One mark of the new birth is a new perspective on the short-lasting, wishful-thinking hope on which we're tempted to build our lives, and many of us sitting here building our lives on. One mark of new birth is this new perspective. I think that's why Peter's writing again of the new birth in, in the first chapter, verses 23 through 24, and he fills out his meaning with a quote from Isaiah 40. All, for, all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. That's why we don't have to talk about why the resurre resurrection is fact. Peter reminds them that everything they formerly hoped in withers and why they've now built on the only hope that can stand the test of time. Why? Why build on this hope? I want you to get this. This is big. New perspective today. Hope means this. Human beings are absolutely shaped by their understanding of the future. Absolutely shaped by your understanding. What you believe the future to be completely shapes how you are living now. How has this hope that we're talking about changed you? How are you different because of it? In the book, The Real American Dream, a meditation on hope, the author says the heart of any cohesive culture, the thing that makes a culture different from some other culture is the hope at the heart of it. This isn't a Christian book. And he's identifying that there's hope at the heart of a cohesive culture, a cohesive community. He says these things in the introduction, hope is the way we overcome the lurking suspicion that all our getting and spending amounts to nothing more than fidgeting while we wait for death. Gross, again. But, but we're, we're living in this. We're doing this. When we trade this hope for anything in this world, that's what we're doing. It sounds ridiculous. Is your life absolutely meaningless? If not, then it is because you have a hope. Otherwise, it is meaningless. So what is that hope? He goes on and says that the philosopher, Michael Oakeshott, shot, <laughs> careful, concludes, hope depends on finding some end to be pursued more extensive than a merely instant desire. In other words, you must have something more important than yourself and your own selfish desires to live for and sacrifice for, or you have no hope. And he says, the premise of this book is that human beings need to organize their lives into a story. What? Into a, do you know what the resurrection is all about? Is an invitation to every one of us into God's story. That he is writing in the world, which is a story about reconciliation of all things. He makes all things new. This is the greatest hope we could know that as bad as the world is, God is redeeming it through his church, through his people. Man, I want to be part of that mission, not other stupid missions that have everything to do with everything else but God. 
The premise of the book is that human beings need to organize their lives into a story that gives hope. Without some such structure by which hope is expressed, one would be, as the anthropologist Clifford Gertz has put it, a kind of formless monster with neither sense of direction nor power of self-control, a chaos of vague emotions. End quote. See, if you have no hope, you can't be moved. What could move you? You have to have something more important than yourself to be moved. And if hope is that crucial to a cohesive culture, to a cohesive life, then you can imagine that when you get a new hope, it's life transforming, which is this hope that lives. That's the reason it says into a living hope. What is the living hope? Into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. When a person actually comes to realize that this is true, when you get that hope, it's new birth. It's a new life. Why? I want you to hear this again. I'll say it in a different way. It changes your life completely because how you live now is completely affected by what you believe the future to be. If you believe that is the future, it changes everything. How has this hope changed you? When I know that God is who he says he is and will do what he says he's going to do and I can trust him with my tomorrow, I stop living in tomorrow, I stop worrying about the future, I stop trying to guess and I live today in obedience knowing that he has it and when I know that he has it and I know where I'm going because it's better than anything I can do, I live crazy audacious obedience for him right now because I know who he is. He is the one who predicted his death and his resurrection and pulled it off. Who do you know like that? That's who I'm following. And because he has told me what's going to happen in the world today and what's going to happen in my future, I can trust him because I can trust it. Man, I can live crazy obedience no matter what you think or you think or you think or you think or you think because I only care what he thinks. That's it. I get rescued from an identity that is built by this world. Whew, okay. Breathe. How has hope changed you? So many ways exist for Christians to show their alien identity. I'm just gonna give you a few and we're gonna be done. This hope implies a different way of treating each other. Guys, I, I get real, I get real. I, I know that there's Democrats and Republicans in the world and so do you. But as a Christian, you should treat both differently. I'm sick and tired of watching Christians who are blue or red treat other people as if they're stupid and don't love in the way that God loves us. God would real easy look at me and say, you're pretty ignorant most of the time. But he doesn't, he loves me and he speaks truth. And I'm just sick of the way we beat each other up and tear each other down. I want you to stop for a second and listen. Stop talking so much and just listen. And once you've listened, why don't you listen to what the Holy Spirit would ask us to do because it will look different than the way the world is responding. And you can apply that to everything. This hope causes us to treat each other different. This hope creates a different posture toward power. I'm tired of power over. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, the rulers of this age use their authority to rule over, not so with you. And started a revolution in that moment when he said, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you will become a servant of all. Period. It changes the power. This hope inspires a different response to suffering. Listen, when our horizons don't stretch beyond life in this world, suffering is only ever loss. When you can't see the future and understand that God has you, whether it's good or it's bad, then the suffering you go through can only equal loss because you have no understanding of what God is doing in the suffering. 
If your hope is based in circumstances, when you go through sorrow, it will decimate you. You'll be destroyed. You'll be incinerated. But if your hope is put in something besides circumstances, then when you go through sorrow, and it is sorrow, and it is real pain, it will be turning you into gold, not shame. Because that's the hope that's in us. So when difficulties come, and they do, we handle them differently than the world. And people go, you part of that family again? Is that you guys? You in there? To be one with Jesus, we expect something of what he went through. But one with him, we also expect our suffering to be productive and fully redeemed just like his was. That's the story he's talking about when the author says human beings need to organize their stories into a story that gives hope. What story are you part of? You part of the world's narrative today? Have you let your life be so caught up in that that your definition of hope is so confusing because it's not real? And in these moments, you have a really hard time connecting because you haven't surrendered your heart to God. Maybe you've surrendered pieces of it, but it's time to surrender all of it because you've been fighting for a hope you can't get outside of him. It's why life feels the way it feels. It's why in these moments there's something drawing you. It's a story that's being told that's greater than you, that God is inviting you into, that has a hope that this world can't touch. It's futuristic, but it's right now, and it changes the way you live. How has this hope changed you? Before we go, I want to show you a video real quick. That's why many of us were standing out in the lobby earlier and couldn't get in. Tell me what the world's like. Tell me what the world's like. Hang on. Hey, hang on. Got to set it up. It's almost it's there. I'll show you a video real quick. It's like that. If this hope is in you, you will need to get it out of you. You will want to share it. You will tell people about it. You can't contain it. And if you're able to contain it, it might not be that impressive. And so you have to ask some really hard questions. But there, we have people in the church today that are saying to themselves, man, I want this hope. I want this hope. And there's a gospel message that we need to learn to share. I stumbled on this a few years ago. I have used this explanation of what it means to know Jesus over and over on napkins in restaurants with my kids sitting at a table with a piece of paper. It's not a really impressive video, okay? We didn't put a lot of money into this. Matter of fact, we took it off the internet because we can't. But it will tell a story of what it means to share the gospel. And I want you to hear it now. Tell me what the world's like. When you turn on the news, what do you see? Between all the violence and war and terrorism and the AIDS pandemic and global warming, we've got to say our world's pretty messed up. What's interesting is how we feel about that. Uh, None of us think that that's a great thing. All of us long and ache for a better world. Well, isn't that interesting? Because hunger seems to point to the fact that food exists and thirst points to the fact that water or drink exists. So our longing and aching for a better world seems to point to the fact that either a better world did exist or will one day exist. Well, in the Christian worldview, we believe it did. And that um, back in the day, um, God designed it so that the planet took care of us and we took care of it and we took care of each other. And God took care of us and we blessed him back. And that the whole thing was designed for good. So how did we get here? Well, we decided that we were going to run the show, and when we started chasing our own needs above caring for other people or the planet, we started damaging the planet, we started damaging our relationship with each other, and ultimately we damaged our relationship with God so that the whole thing was damaged 
by evil. Well, it's great that God actually loves the planet and us too much to leave us that way. So even in our brokenness, in the Christian worldview 2,000 years ago, God came as Jesus. And in that, he started to teach us a better way to live and began to tell us about this thing called the reign of God, where all the good things that's supposed to happen actually do. And so he taught us, and in his death, all this crap died with him so that three days later, when he came back to life, there's new life possible throughout everything, throughout the planet, in us, and with each other. And so everything is being restored for better. Well, then what's our response? Well, in this world, that's still messed up. Jesus is starting a revolution and he's asking us to be healed ourselves in Jesus' name, to be healed in each other, and to go out and heal the planet. And that our mission is to be sent together to heal. Now how come I can't just jump from here to here? This sounds great. Well, the world's problems are infinite. And we're going to get overwhelmed trying to take care of this on our own. We actually need Jesus' resources so that we can become the kind of good that we want to see on the planet. And that's crucial. So where are you? Are you here where you think the world is peachy? Or here, overwhelmed by the world's problems? Or are you here, got some sense of God working in your life but not involved in his mission? Or you're here, you're trying to actually make this world a better place, relationships and you and everything, but have a hard time finding how God fits into the picture. Where are you? So where are you? I guess the goal of today as we ask this question, how has this hope changed me, is that you would move. That if you find yourself in the circle where you think everything's peachy, that you need to realize we live in a pretty broken world. If you find yourself at the place where the world's pretty broken and I believe there has to be something better, you need to understand God has created that path for you through Jesus. And simply by asking him to lead your life is the invitation into that third circle where we get to be part of God's family, where that hope begins to live in us and change us. And maybe you're in that place and you're saying, man, I've never shared my faith. Well, the way we share is we come together and we go into this world to see God heal people, heal hearts, heal lives, reconcile it to himself. If you're here and you're saying, man, I... I, need, I would love to share Jesus more. I want that hope to be seen on the outside because it's on the inside. Would you raise your hand and say, man, that's me. There's a lot of us. How many say, man, I get that, but I, I want to be part of what God is doing in healing the world. Would you, would you raise your hand and say, man, that's me. I want to I go. I want God to make that clear, whether that's in my workplace or in my neighborhood or wherever that is, in my family. Maybe you're sitting here today and you would say, you know what? I've never stepped into a relationship with Jesus where you've, it's been explained like that where this hope can live. I've chased a lot of false hope and I want to know Jesus. I'm going to walk with Jesus. And then you would say, that's you. Would you just raise your hand because I want to pray with you. Say, man, that's me. I want this life with Jesus where we get to walk together and go after him. Thanks. If that's you and you raise your hand, you know what all you have to do is say, Jesus, I give you my life. That's it. I give you my life. Is there a lot more after that? Absolutely. You get community and we get to walk together and grow to become like Christ. But if that's you, just simply say, God, give me, I give you my life. The rest of us, let me pray for us if we stand. If you're sitting here and you, you haven't made a step to move toward God and you're here because someone drug you here, would you thank them today? Because they gave you one more chance. 
to step into a relationship with Jesus, whether you accepted it or not. And if you didn't, I'm going to tell you right now, that hope you're chasing is false and it will lead to destruction. But keep chasing until it's right. And then know that there's a God you can come back to who will love you into his family where hope actually exists. And if you're here and you have hope, can we begin to share that and express it? May we be hope sharers because we have Jesus. We love you. Thank you for being here. We're going to ask you to go ahead and leave because we went long, but thank you for coming. (laughs) Have a great Easter. Happy Easter. Thanks for spending time with the Hope Collective. If you appreciated this message, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. You can also leave a rating or review, which will help other listeners find us online. Thanks again for joining us.